any idea at all what we were just talking about. None. None whatsoever. Welcome to AB Testing Podcast, your modern testing podcast. Your hosts, Alan and Brent, will be here to guide you through topics on testing, leadership, agile, and anything else that comes to mind. Now, on with the show. Hey, everybody. Oh, that sounds like a song. Hey, whatever. Hey! Bet worst intro ever. I'm Paul. I'm Bert. And here we are on the... The Paul, the Paul and Bernie show. <laughs> Did you catch on Twitter where the name Paul came from? Why I'm Paul? Uh, I did. I have already forgotten it. So uh, I, we have our, our lawn kind of just joins with the neighbor's lawn. So I just mow their lawn. I just mow their lawn for them. When I mow our lawn, I just mow the whole thing. So it all looks even and nice. It would be kind of a dick move for me not to mow their lawn. But I've been doing it for a couple of years, and um, she gives gifts. And the other day, she dropped off a nice gift card for a local restaurant, and and it said, "Paul, thank you very much. You make the lawn look great." So all this time, she's thought my name is Paul, and I figured the only Seattle way to handle this is to change my name to Paul. It is very Seattle-y. I I, I I can't agree. just I can't I don't have the time or energy to go over and correct it and cause embarrassment to somebody else. I'll just be Paul from now on. You're born and raised in the the PNW, right? I, I was born in Spokane, which is technically PNW, then moved over to this here area when I was three years old. So yeah, pretty much been here my whole life. So the whole Washington. The answer is yes. The whole Washington nice thing is is bred into you. Whereas I'm a transplant from, from SoCal, right? Where, where we invented, right? Road rage. It's because it's because you are more important than everyone around you by default, but due to your self awesomeness. Uh, certainly when I'm on the road, that is absolutely true. That's true all the time. You're a dick. <laughs> Uh, yeah, sadly, sadly, I think the majority of the world agrees with your point of view. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Today was uh, a day off at Unity. Just one of our, during the summer, we get an extra Friday off a month. Kind of cool. Went for a bike ride this morning. Did uh, my new favorite mountain bike trail. It was fun. So uh, anything else new? T- tell me what's up and then we'll get into our topics. Uh, what is up? So spent a lot of time thinking about our last podcast. I thought that one. Haven't the Mariners been playing really well since you said that? They're like, yeah, they. Yeah. No, the yesterday they have. The answer is yes. The short answer is yes, but the Bryn answer is much longer. So they now, as of yesterday, they have gotten their second club record for wins in a row their 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 record is 15 wins in a row that was done like ages ago probably the randy johnson era uh and they have multiple times where they did 10 in a row but yesterday they got to 11 and i'm hoping for 12 today again i would as mentioned last week you probably have something else to talk about other than the Mariners about last week. Uh, if they would just put the darn games on a streaming service. I guess I found out that Fubo has root, so I may switch to them. So anyway, what were you what were you reflecting on from last week or two weeks ago last time? Uh, oh, by the way, what episode number is this? 163? Uh, 62, I believe. 62. Okay, cool. Cool, cool. Anyway, go on. Uh soon to be titled random bits of random randomness oh that's a show no, title you, snip that you, you were right no it is 163 god this, i love being right anyway tell me tell me the story why you're thinking about last week and then we'll go on no i i just thought that that so first and foremost you know brief retrospective number one you starting the conversation Setting expectations with the guest. Brilliant. Brilliant. I, I didn't even know I did that, but I'll take it. 
Yeah, you you basically, within the first two minutes, you said, oh, and by the way, this is not going to be an interview. (laughs) Alan proactively, like, I will not hear on Twitter uh, that that we interviewed you wrong. Right. That, that when we did, yeah, when we had Anne Marie on, people were mad because the interviewers talked too much. And, and obviously I didn't set their expectations appropriately. Just wanted to get that underway. Anyway, cool. And, and, and he was cool. I think the the fun guy, he's, he, if you haven't listened to one sixty two yet with Kirk, go listen to it. Now we'll wait. And then Alan inserts episode 162 in the middle of episode 163, but at double speed, kind of. Oh, to be Inception, it'd have to be at half speed, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, one of the things I was thinking about is, you know, how other podcasts are better. Uh, no, I, I, I've given up thinking further on that one. Other podcasts, they'll do like, like revisit episodes. Where they're like, hey, yeah, we're extra lazy today. So we decided that it was really important to to play again episode number 67. Yeah, yeah. We don't do that. We talk about the same stuff all the time, though. So we just do it differently. We just do it. We do it the extra lazy way. I'm too lazy to go find that old podcast. We'll just talk about principle five again. Any idea at all we were just talking about? None. None whatsoever. So let's just segue right into something else here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so we just experienced some technical difficulty, and we're both old, and even though it was one minute ago, we both forgot what the hell we were talking about, and it's not worth doing playback. All right. So Alan will fix this and edit. Alan will. So let's go ahead and get, do you mind just getting into the topics for today or the topic or we'll see how things go? Yeah, let's go. All right, man. So we had a good question on one of the three slack.com, our Slack group, where you can get an invitation by going to moderntesting.org. We had a question in uh, the Slack group uh, from Ryan Quellhorse. Thank you, Ryan, for the question. I think it's a good topic to talk about given sort of the current economic situation, what's happening across the industry. And also you and I have some experience here and the questions are, and I will repeat these uh, uh, later as we go through, but something most of tech hasn't had to worry about until recently is layoffs. I would like to hear uh, Bert and Ernie's, no, Bernie, uh, Alan and Brent, uh, that's us, believe it or not, our thoughts on how to lay someone off in a respectful way how to keep a team that is still at the company focused while layoffs are happening and stories about how past bosses have handled layoffs. And I have lots of stories here I can share. Um, We were both around for two, at least two big, fairly big layoffs at Microsoft. And maybe we can just kind of go back and talk through those. And I can talk a little bit about at a high level, of course, about the recent layoffs at Unity. Yeah. And I, I, I don't have a confirm, but I believe there were recent layoffs at Microsoft as well. Um, I believe I don't mostly impacted the sales organization. So I, I, I can't talk about yeah, that one, obviously. I, I can't really talk about ours as well, but, but some higher level things I can. So I think the first, oh, when was it? When Maybe 2003-ish? Does that sound about right when we had those big layoffs, big rig round of layoffs at Microsoft? No. When was no. it? I was in engineering excellence when it happened. So I think I was there from, oh, no, I wasn't. It was after that, right? Because yeah. I, I joined that org in 2004 or five, somewhere in there. Well, there was a big round of layoffs when I was in MSTV. So that might be around the time frame you're talking about. That sounds about. about right, because I was doing the, the test leadership thing. Uh, but the and- one... Uh, where were you then? The one I'm remembering was, would have been around 2015. Yep, 20. Yeah, somewhere in there. So the fir- that was actually I want to talk a little bit more about that one because it actually has a bit, some tie-ins to modern testing. But the first one I remember, and there'll be some stories that come out of here. I it went pretty well for the most part. I it, 
I think it's been long enough. I can talk about this. Don't chime in if you don't need to, because I'm obviously well beyond any NDA sort of stuff. There were actually like they they took all the teams and people that were going to be laid off and they grouped them. There were you could be like a type one or a type two layoff. This is kind of answering the first question a little bit. Um, they were choosing who to be respectful to. So like the type two layoff, you were just gone with, you know, X number of severance and like you, you're in a, in a organization that was being removed, but they didn't think you're a great performer. Then there was kind of the type one layoff. This was their way of keeping, I don't know if you remember this or not from the ones in 2005 ish that sort of, the, then the other one, the other type was, we're going to give you uh, access to a recruiter and uh, three months severance while you find your new role at Microsoft. And it, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, it, it was a little weird to be why am I type one or type two, but I think it was usually kind of obvious. The, the large, large portion of the people I worked with at the time were were the higher class, and and they basically, uh, of course, the problem with those ones, I didn't have any any employees that were impacted then. But one of the problems, the problems were is, is, yeah, they were, they were indicated that they were laid off and they were given these resources, but a large portion of them just kept doing their job. And I remember going, what are you doing, dude? What are you doing? You should not like no amount of brilliant quality code check, uh, check-in is going to save you. Right. Only you can save you. And what are you doing? Like it was essentially we're living in in most were living in denial. Some were were like uh, it was a work ethic thing. I I, and I honor and respect that. But when you know how many days you have to live. Right. You don't go. And it's measured in in months. You don't go back to work (laughs) like (laughs) you you do, you do, you, you reprioritize anyway. So um, I want to answer that first question, how to lay someone off in a respectful way, because I've, of course, you've seen good and bad. And I do want to talk about the 2015-ish, I think that was when that was layoffs. So I'm reading this book and this is going to come up with a second question as well. It recommended to me after our recent layoffs. And the book is called Healing the Wounds, Overcoming the Trauma of Layoffs and Revitalizing Downsize Organizations. Part of it is how to deal with being laid off, but part of it is the survivor syndrome. How do you keep a morale and uh, the feelings of anger, betrayal, et cetera, that occur after a layoff uh, from affecting the team who are left? But we'll come back to that in a moment. Um, how would I like optimally lay somebody off? You do a lot of explaining why. In the absence of information, people will assume the worst possible version of the truth. So if you don't give them enough information, they will just think that you're, they could think like you're targeting them. You don't care about their product, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, When you lay someone off, explain, when you do a layoff, you are laying off, you're deciding not to do work. It's generally a reduction in force. So if a project is canceled, the whole team is canceled, baby in the bathwater and everything. But you explain why. You explain what led to the business decision and give as much context as you legally can on why your team and role were chosen to be eliminated. And then also talk about next steps. Talk about if they have options to look for other roles at the company, how to go about doing that. And then something I got from Reed Hoffman in the Alliance is a, uh, People don't work at companies forever and ever anymore. Um, They don't join a company out of college and stay at that company until they retire. People jump around. And what Reed Hoffman talks about his book called The Alliance is building an alliance. Brent, you you work for me. I don't expect you to want to work for me forever and ever, but we're going to make we're going to make a one to two year commitment, an alliance on here's what we're going to do together. Here's what you're going to get out of it. Here's what I'm going to get out of it and be very transparent and here's how here's what success is going to look like when that success is achieved we're go, we can decide to either re up that relationship or i can help you find your next role where you can be successful now when you do a layoffs as a manager 
It is still your role to help. Even when I fire someone for poor performance, my role is still to help them find their next job where they can be successful. Doesn't mean landing them in a spot, but talking to them. Like, let me just uh, get back on my, my soapbox up here. If I'm firing someone, they aren't performing in the job, but very likely they're not in the right job or they have some potentially attitude or cultural problems that aren't making them successful in the role. Yeah, my it, job as a manager is not to just send them on their way and let them figure that out. I want to give them very clear because we've had, of course, would have had the conversations ahead of time on uh, things they need to improve and I can continue to give them advice and I will do everything I can, including if appropriate, giving them contacts at other companies that I may know. I have a big slew of recruiters in my in my contact book. Uh, I want to help people find their next job. I've fired people and had them thank me. Now, if I transfer that to laying somebody off, even more so, this is somebody who's likely not a fireable person. They would have been fired. They're being laid off because we, we had a reduction in force. I still want to take some time to give them every bit of information I can to help them find their next role, either at the company that we're at in a different role or to continue whatever they want to do in their mission of growth somewhere else. And that's how I would lay someone off in a respectful way. Uh, you were going to say something in the middle that you probably forgot it. Yeah. The couple things. Oh, you were talking about two, two scenarios that, that you have discovered where you end up needing to fire somebody. And I've actually found that it's really just one. And, and, and it's that person and their strengths. And I really, truly, honestly believe everybody is awesome. But is or can be is is everybody is all right go awesome. on go on and then i'll disagree with you okay. but they are awesome in the environment that they're meant to be in so think of it okay. like a fish is awesome but if a fish is dropped out of a hot air balloon right it's going to be a little less awesome for that fish indeed right? <laughs> So part of part of I have had firing somebody is difficult, uh, but I have a very strong record on people uh, thanking me for this. Same, same. I it's surprising. I've been surprised when it started happening, but yes, I've I've had the same experience. I remember the first guy I ever had to fire. Uh, I was in a test role and he just simply had no interest in tests. None. Every time during 101, he was talking about PM features and, and customer engagements and things like that. Couldn't get him to close anything on testing. And I said, look, dude, here's the deal. You're not a tester. You're, you're not a tester. You're never going to be a tester. You're not interested in the job. Um, you are, you need to go and find a job in a PM role. That is what's going to make you happy. Okay. And I am happy to talk to anyone you want to want me to talk to and recommend you for that role. But I am going to turn down anyone who wants to come and talk to me for a test role. There is a, a, a matrix on this quadrant, I'll call it. But the first read about it uh, in Michael Lopp's book, Managing Humans, which is a very good book. And he didn't invent it, but that's where I first read it. Called The Skill and the Will Matrix. High skill, high will. That, by saying, is awesome. And I agree, everyone should be able to make it to that high skill, high will. They're, they they rock it and they love it. Yeah. Now, what you're talking about is you have people that can be high skill, low will. This is this person. They're in the wrong job. Right. And you also have high will, low skill. There's your entry level people or, yep. or, or new to role, new to job. I want to do this. I don't know how. And you want to make them be awesome. And then you also have the low skill, low will people who maybe are in the 
in the wrong industry, but there's all kinds of reasons for that. So I think that's what you're saying. It's that skill and will. Everybody can get the high skill, high will. But as a manager, it's your job to to get it's the mix and match of making sure their skills match what you have. But sometimes you don't have that on your team. Sometimes yes. you don't have that at your company. And what I talk about in the alliance is recognize that and, and if needed, have a frank conversation with someone say, you know, a great job for you would be this thing. And I'm not trying to chase you out of the company, but I think you're going to be a lot happier doing this thing. What do you, do you want to talk about it? Et cetera, et cetera. But there's also what I was talking about is that assumes the person's not an asshole. I'll, I'll make up another matrix on the spot here. Maybe it's not a matrix, but I'm thinking of sometimes you have people who are living the values of the company. They're, 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 they're wonderful collaborators. They're just not producing. They're, they're not delivering on their, they're not getting stuff done. And that's a manageable thing that requires some coaching. Um, you can get people out of there. But also you have people who are, and just think back to 90s Microsoft when people got stuff done and left a wake of bodies in their, or bodies in their wake. God, I can't tell a story. But think of the person who does really good work. And you, I know you know these people. Think back in Microsoft. People oh, yeah. who crank out good work, but they're an asshole and they piss everybody off along the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that that's not a skill in the will issue. That's a different aspect of the quadrant. I don't want those jerks. I, I would, that's also could be a coaching issue. And I will tell you, and we've talked about it before because all my role models did that. I tried doing that at Microsoft for a while and, and oh, my Microsoft 360 from like 45 years ago is over there. Cause I'm so old, but it says, well, when I sat down with HR to go over it, they said, Alan, everybody loves your work, but they think you're a little bit of an asshole. I said, Oh, the first time I really thought about it, I'm just doing what all of the people around me do. But yeah, let me, I, I don't, I don't enjoy it, but it's, I thought it was what I was supposed to do. I'm new to the industry. So anyway, I tried to turn a corner since then and be an empathetic worker and empathetic leader. And I kind of like it better. It fits my values more, but now the, I want to get rid so of the jerks. Go ahead. I reinforce the, the culture of collaboration. I too grew up in the old school Microsoft, right? Right. I grew up in, in early Microsoft uh, in the exchange team run by Brian Valentine. Oh, yeah. Who, who was there the, was an there was an empathetic, caring leader that Brian Valentine. Oh, he was funny. He was funny. Back when we had war room, not ship room, war room. What, what was it good for? Absolutely nothing. Say it again. War room. Huh. Good God, y'all. No, it was absolutely good for, you know, uh, soapboxing, um, taking off your shoes, slamming it on the table to to get your way, right? Um, Being called an asshole in that organization was a badge of honor, not an insult. Well, I mentioned Nick Dimmitt here a few weeks ago. Um, Nick, I know you don't listen, but uh, Nick once walked out of a war room meeting. Good God, y'all. And kicked a hole in the wall. Yeah, I would. I would hope. I haven't seen anything like that, but I would hope that in today's culture at Microsoft, that would be a person that would be gone. Yeah, I, I think so, too. It's just a different, different world. And I get that's good. That's good. So. Uh, say what you're going to say. I want to tie this back to we're talking about how to lay someone off in a respectful way. And I, the tangents are part of the show. I acknowledge it. It's fine. So when it comes to like, when it comes to, to priorities, when you say, Hey, I'm going to get rid of a jerk. Okay. Um, but you may just need to coach the jerk, but, but yeah, but you may get rid of the jerk. Right. Uh, so, so, I used to have a policy that it's not around how do you decide when to fire or lay off somebody. Um, but I used to have a policy, right? It, one of the weaknesses of having a belief that everyone is awesome is that you, uh, and particularly if you have a little bit of white knight syndrome, you, you, you just keep trying and you keep trying and you keep trying. And back in those days, I would try infinitely like, no, it's my fault. I just haven't communicated this the right way. And now I have a, uh, I have since learned 
a three strikes and you're out. And it's basically in combination with what I call the law of decreasing diplomacy, where the first time I communicate to the feed, you the feedback, I'm going to use very soft language, very hopeful language, very diplomatic. The next time I have to talk about the same thing, I'm not going to echo exactly the same way because I'm going to I'm going to operate on the assumption that you didn't understand what I said last time. So I'm going to try a different way of communicating it, but it's going to be a little bit more assertive. And uh, the third time is essentially, um, yeah, it's time for you to find a new home. One way or the other, there's multiple ways to motivate somebody to find a new home, uh, up to and including firing. Does does Microsoft still? I have a thought on this. I want to get back to the topic here, but um, I had a, a just a thought come to me in a fleeting moment of walking the dog or something. But does Microsoft still do pips, performance improvement no. plans? Uh, no, we don't. We don't have a pip. There is another process that replaces it that's that's rarely used. So that's that's one thing. So at does, least does it, it doesn't matter. It, it was going to be it was it was maybe a little bit rhetorical question to, to key up my um, my thought here. But let's say I have and I don't have anyone like this right now. Let's here's what I thought would be a cool thing for a company to do. This is not reflect what we're doing nor what anybody else has done. I'm sure somebody does it because anytime I have an idea that I think is good, it's actually been implemented by 50,000 other people. But let's say I have an employee who's not performing. I kind of want to bring them envelope A and envelope B. Because doing any, whether you call it a PIP or something else, any sort of, okay, we needed to formally document your performance and help get you back on track or help you move out. That's a lot of work. It's stress on everyone, a lot of work. I want to bring uh, envelope A and envelope B. Envelope A is here is your package to leave right now. Deference for a long time, you know, whatever's in the package. B is, or we're going to do, we're going to do, a pit, some sort of performance improvement plan to get you back on track, do all the documentation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But if at the end of that, you don't get, you don't get back on track, you're gone with no severance. Right. It's kind of like a, a double or nothing. Sort of yeah. Thing. Yeah. And, and I think, cause, <laughs> cause think about the people that we've, and again, it's, I'm not suggesting this. Uh, I haven't thought through this enough and I don't work in HR, but my thought was I was thinking through layoffs and also help managing people out, whatever flavor of the text you want to use. And I've had two different flavors of that. Um, often by the time it gets there, like I remember one of the first ones I ever did, it was hard cause I was new at it and the person, it did nothing. And I was thinking, man, if, if I got this message, I would just like, I would, double down work. I was young. So I'd work extra hours. I would make sure I got myself back on track, but the person really didn't have any, any desire to, to fix any of the things trying to fix. But some people, I also have people who have, it's been a kick, been the kick in the butt they needed. And it's like, it, it turned them around and they were good forever. Those are probably rarer than the former, but they do happen. And if you had the option there, it's like, yeah, I, I can get back on track. I go with plan B. Anyway, just just a thought I had. Uh, a bunch of thoughts came together in my head, and I forgot about it till right now. Wanted to share it first time, uh, freely available. But again, I'm not in HR, and that would be dumb for you to think that I actually knew what I'm talking about. So, if we can, like I kind of go back to laying off uh, in a res- when it comes to laying off or firing somebody, right? That's a scenario where the decision's been made, right? And there I kind of fall back to, uh, have you watched the my current favorite movie, oh, which God. is Moneyball? Oh, yeah. I've, I've seen Moneyball a couple of times. Very good. I, I love it's Yeah. Big fan. Okay. Okay. The, the scene where uh, Brad Pitt's character makes Jonah's character uh, inform the the party baseball player that he's being transferred to another team. 
Do you, do you remember that scene? No. Re- re- refresh me and our listeners. <clears throat> All right. So there was, there was one of the players was always goofing off, uh, wasn't really taking the the baseball seriously for for the A's. So the manager made a deal and traded him. Okay, and and. Uh, and that example was very similar to like a fire or layoff. And the manager uh, gave it to, his name's Jonah, right? Jonah, Jonas, one of those. Anyway. Jonah Hill. Uh, yeah. It gave it to Jonah Hill's character to do the actual uh, notification that he's being traded. Okay. And he's like, he was stressing out about that. He was like, okay, this guy just bought a house. He's got all this headache, right? And Brad Pitt's character said something I think is very smart, right? When the decision is gone, don't drag it out. It's like, Alan, if you knew that you were going to die tomorrow, you had no choice. You're going to die tomorrow. There's nothing you can do about it. The only thing you can choose is do you want a bullet to the head or five bullets to the stomach and bleed to death? Yeah, choice A. Absolutely. Right. And that's kind of my view on layoffs. Right. It, it's. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Want, it, it's you got to get to the point. You can't do false hope. No, 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 no. You, you, you got to make it absolutely clear. This is happening. Nothing you can do about it. Here is all the other additional information. Good luck. Right. And that additional information is important. All that. Why? So I want to. So I think we're in violent agreement there. I mean, yeah. there's just the worst way you can do it is to just hand them a piece of paper and walk away or or. When I was laid off from Chuck E. Cheese's when I was 16 years old, just stop scheduling me for work. Uh, I've had that. Uh, I've I've had that as well. So I, I want to talk um, about the second one. The first one's kind of this, the last question was stories about how past bosses have handled layoffs. I think I kind of weave those in indirectly into the first answer. But I do want to talk about how to keep the team that is still at the company focused while layoffs are happening, because uh, it's always been tough. It There is survivor syndrome. And that book I recommended earlier in the podcast talks about this a lot. It's hard on people. They they feel like their family's cut out. And there's a great story from the book. It says, imagine you're a family of six, four kids. And one day you come down to dinner and, and the father and mother say, it looks like we're not going to be able to continue to have six people. We're going to have to make, do some downsizing. So... Uh, you two point to two of the kids. You are going to be living with your aunt and uncle and be no longer part of this family. I'm going to need you to have your bags packed and ready to go this evening. And the rest of us will continue. Then they're gone. They're in shock. And then the next night at dinner, there's only four, four people set there. You kind of act like it. You kind of ignore the big elephant in the room and they say, well, as you know, there's only four of us now, so we're all going to have to do a little extra work in order to make sure that we can continue to have the same quality of life we had before. And it's like awkward, weird, uh, not the right way to do it. So keeping the key, keeping the team focused. So what I've done uh, is just a whole lot of transparency. I tell you what, man, I have learned so much about being a manager by going to a therapist. If you want to be a good leader, go get some therapy because you learn, to, I mean, lots of little tips on listening and empathizing that are really powerful. But just let people vent. Let people vent respectfully. Let them feel like they're heard. Actually, that, 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 that sounds condescending. Listen to them so they feel like they're heard. Don't make them, you know, don't just make them feel like they're heard. Actually listen to them. Let them know they're heard. Do what you can to support. Answer their questions the best you can. Uh, acknowledge that it's hard with fewer people. Now, we didn't have layoffs in my team, but we did have a lot of open headcount cut. So we have some teams that are thinner. Um, we just managed to do it without laying, laying people off, and it's hard. So just, it, you just acknowledge it and listen and 
remind them what's important. That it's okay if things are delivered slower now, because that's that's the way you talk about calendar time is the one thing. I mean, we can't lay it off. We can't change it. It's just stuck. There's only so much we can get done in a certain amount of time with a certain amount of people dedicated to an effort. But it's all just, to me, it's massive transparency and empathy. Yeah. And you got to be careful with the empathy in some regards as well. It depends on the situation, right? How do I put this? There's a there's a point in there somewhere. I'm waiting for it. Yeah, no, the the you have to think of it as or you don't have to. I mean, I do. So I think of it as um, I don't know. You probably know the author of this this the storming forming norming uh, philosophy around. I, I'm familiar with it. I can't remember who wrote it. Okay. Yeah. It, so whenever a big thing like this happens, I just operate in the assumption that that we now need to rebuild our team identity. Well, right? it, it, it depends. I'm, I guess. Then there's other questions. I remember, I, I don't remember which one of these, which one of the layouts we talked about. Okay. But uh, oftentimes the criteria around the layoff um are 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 driven by legal not by managers and that's one thing i think well i think a lot of employees i've talked to were surprised by like a lot of the layoffs um managers often find out within hours before the employee does right it, it is because it has to pass a, a legal standard of fairness. And, and also it, you, it helps contain any sort of leakage of that information. That is true, but I don't, I don't think that's the primary cause. Like with things but, like, so regardless with of things that, like so, blind today, so, yeah. that doesn't happen. So, so let's look at my interpretation of the question. It's not like during the layoff. So that, so the question does say while they're happening, but Generally, the the guidance on layoffs from all the the business books on this are cut once, cut deep. Don't do a little bit and then a little more, a little more. That just creates so much anxiety on the team. Do oh. one, do one, and get it over with. So, and then you're not focusing on when's the next wave, who who's next. And I think at Microsoft, especially, I think the two layoffs we were part of, uh, both just happened in one fell swoop. With that first one being a little bit different with the different tiers, but the people weren't wondering, okay, now that layoffs have happened, will there be another round that affects me? You don't want people working that way. No, and completely true, but you can only do anything if you're part of the decision committee for around how to roll out the layoffs. Yeah, but I'm completely I, agree. And, a bullet to the right. head is better than five. And there's a lot we don't have control over, but what we do have control over is after the layoffs have happened and you have everybody else who has survived is how do you help those people with their shock, their anger, their betrayal. And for that transparency, as much as you can legally or as much as you know, and empathy, just listen to them because it's okay to be angry or mad or frustrated or betrayed or have any sort of emotions you want about the thing that just happened that took some of your coworkers away from your company. That's it's okay to have those feelings. And as a leader, as a manager and keeping that team focused, the telling them to ignore it and move on is, is going to cause bigger problems. The best thing you can do to get the team less distracted about that and continue to deliver on the things they need to is listen to them, empathize with them. This is where I want empathy. It's like, yes, it is frustrating. I totally get it. I, I would be frustrated if I were you. It's, it's hard to get stuff done. And here's what I can tell you on why that's happened. Again, there's the transparency. Rinse, lather, repeat. Genuinely listening is absolutely important genuinely being genuine and listening 
that is absolutely critical. I, I think about the last time people want to come and talk to me and they're like, this was so unfair. Oh, like yeah. Even the ones that survived, they're like, um, and even managers. Like, I, I know of a story where one guy who just got promoted, literally a month after the promoted, they got laid off. And another guy was on track to being fired and he survived. Mm-hmm. And the manager was like, whoa, whoa. And there was one manager that owned these two people. Like once he heard about it, he immediately went into high gear, super, super high achiever stuff, like email, email, call, 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 trying to get, no, no, no. Before this announced swap, and he couldn't because yeah, the decision has been made. The and decision. Also, I don't like that. I don't like the idea of laying like you lay off the team, the not, not the team, the project. You cancel projects. Not it's weird. I, I know Microsoft has done this. I want to come. I want to go back to one other topic before we end here. But it's odd to me and really hard if you're laying off individual people from a team and not other people from that team. Um, so it's weird. One thing I want to quickly talk about is the, that those 2014 or 15 layoffs, those happened when I was um, on my sabbatical in the south of France. And this was, I knew it was coming because we did this exercise. You know, anytime you're filling out a spreadsheet that talks about what people do, um, you know someone's look, you know someone's looking for uh, redundancy, et cetera. And that, that was the one where, um, modern testing was accelerated at Microsoft because that's one that removed a lot of the S debt roles that hadn't already moved into dev roles. If I recall correctly, Brent's nodding his head. I did my own versions of, of those spreadsheets as well. It was, it was more around. So we had so management, in, in that layoff, we had about a week. Basically, like, this is happening. You have a week to uh, you, the management team, the frontline management team. Uh, these, these are the people who are surviving the layoff. And you have a week to figure out their new role. Right. So, for example, um, uh, I was put in charge. So he he was a, a former test manager. And in one fell swoop, he was being moved to a dev IC role. And it was it, this guy didn't report to me, but it, it, it did fall on me to figure out where he goes. And you had to close that in a week. Because you had to, uh, uh, because they, when they announced the layoffs, everything had to be buttoned up. Well, everything was supposed to be buttoned up. I think about, I think back on it now. I'm like, did it really? Could they have? Could they not announce it and then this told us this? Or is that is that you know a second bullet to the stomach? So when I took, I took almost actually a full three months off. Um, two of it in. Maybe, where was I? Maybe two and a half in France, France and another two weeks in Japan on the way home. Ended up going all around the world on that trip. So he went east to France, stayed there for, for a long time, and then stopped, stopped in Japan on the way home, also flying east. So made it all the way around the world. But I remember what I, I, I didn't work at all, but I deleted a bunch of emails. I didn't want to come back to 10,000 unread email. And that is not an exaggeration because Microsoft... Uh, I don't know if it's any different with Teams, but a very email culture. Everything communicated over email. Oh, it's, you know what? I don't, it is different with Teams, but now it's, it's everything is communicated in, in Teams or email. And I find, I find, I'm like, okay, I know this person sent me this information, but how? I can't find it. So with us, conversation, I mean, it, it's this way it should work, and it's great. I'll get back to my story in a second here. Conversation is in Slack. Information sharing is in email. 
also get all my you know, approve X, approve Y, sign this contract, et cetera. So anyway, I'm in the south of France. It's um, it's afternoon, you know, eight hours ahead of the time, I think. And I'm chucking down my second glass of rosé and having a having a baguette with some cheese. And uh, I get a high pry message from Chris, my boss, acknowledging that I'm I'm not working. But he, um, he said, hey, just want to let you know. And I didn't even check that. I hadn't read the news or anything. He goes, just want you to know your job's safe. And it was funny. I had, like, if I saw a message like that well, today, I wouldn't care either. But a lot of times in my career, I go, oh, my God, what happened? But I was like, I don't care. You can, I don't care if it is or not. I'm in the south of France sitting on the back patio with a glass, of, with a bottle of rosé and this baguette. I'm, I'm actually all right, man. Whatever you want to do. But uh, apparently, they had just done a bunch of layoffs and a bunch of good people we work with on Xbox. Uh, after Xbox One shipped, uh, of course, Xbox uh, is based on um, the Windows operating system. Uh, a couple different flavors of it. It's three different OSs. That's a whole different story. That redundancy list was as they made Xbox and Windows more one group was finding redundancy and who did what. So it was kind of a bummer. And I felt the same way. I probably would have felt worse if I was there and not in the south of France. But a lot of people that I really liked and people I hung out with and and who were really good, and they were just gone. So it's always tough. Anyway, that was that was my story. But it accelerated modern testing because uh, teams had to figure out how to get testing done. And some, just like we've talked about a million times on this podcast, drink a million times. Some teams did it well, and and had that growth mindset, not a testing mindset, uh, and embraced it and got really good at delivering quality. And some people, some teams didn't. I'm kind of curious. I don't know that we talked about it. Talked about what? Well, so you and I had different experiences in our times in in, uh, Xbox Right. And I uh, look at it and I was like, wow. Um, well, no, okay. We had different experiences in our time in Xboxes. It, it, the Xboxes culture claimed to be agile. And I'm like, no, no, this they weren't. No, no, they no, were no. not. They, they were, to use your term, like they, my experience of Xbox was the epitome of fragile um, when I was there, like the epitome. And I, and I don't recall, I don't recall the conversations when they shifted away from no test or were you there during that time? Remember? Yes. Because um, a couple things happened. Okay. So part, I, I tell part of my story here. So, um, everybody were, I mean, windows became this huge division still siloed a little bit, um, meaning separate, a functional org, but instead of a testing org, part of the reason I didn't like the, the windows org at all, because Michael Fortin, who was leading that group, I thought was just a bumbling idiot and still do to this day. But remember it became a, a data science and telemetry Org, do you remember that sort of shift? And yeah. that's where I, I was working for Chris. So I working for Chris on the stupid science project, and I briefly led our air quote data science and telemetry team. And a lot of a lot of test folks. You know, Steve Rowe moved in there. And just it, I think he's a better fit in that org than he was in the test org. So we have examples like that. Steve Rowe, a member, honorary member of the AB Testing Podcast, uh, he's been on the show a couple times, and. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's how that shift happened. Um, in our case, I think there were some testers around still. I can't quite remember trying to get developers to own testing. Not sure what happened after that. Uh, but one cool thing I did then, uh, or one fun thing was there is a little bit of a consortium of all these different managers of these new data science teams. And we get together once a week and it was a huge cluster fudge, uh, Remember Steve Rowe being there and other people I don't remember being there and conversations like it was really, it was the wrong, 
They wanted to replace their test pass dashboards with a telemetry dashboard. They and it was they were thinking it was just wrong, and uh, they were trying, but it was just so bad. And this is where, oh gosh, I did I put together and taught a seminar to or or a class to Windows developers. What were those things called? Um, shoot, scenarios and measures or something. Some no. some it, it was yeah, Brent. I can't yeah, I'm like, barfing. Yeah, there was some real awkward to bad attempts by the brightest and the best there to uh, try and figure out how to do telemetry and data. And I'm glad, um, which was weird because a lot of orgs at Microsoft even then were doing it very very well. It's just Windows was behind the times and trying to figure it out, but. Um, anyway, that, 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 all that stuff was happening, but yeah, I did that for a while and got really, really bored and then went to teams where I just got really, really mad. Yeah. And you made me think about somebody who I haven't thought about in a while. Um, I had a meeting with their manager about a year ago. No, no, that's a lie. It was probably a year, a year before COVID. So that was much longer ago. Um, but, uh, I'm not mentioning last name on purpose, but Chris is no longer at Microsoft. Oh, he had been working in an IC data science role. And I'm seeing him up on LinkedIn. He's taking a break, exploring and learning is what it says. He can, he can go to forward along with, uh, Nick and Ken. All right. Yeah. Anyway, sure. um, somewhere in there talked about layoffs. You get the extra stories too because tangents are part of what you get on the Paul and Bernie show. Bert, Bert, Bertney. I don't know, Bertney. God Ooh, damn it, Bertney, Bertney, Bertney Spears, Bertney, Bertney Schmears. There's your name, Bertney Schmears. Smears are awesome. All right, okay, everybody, we're out of time. We're way out of time. Except when I edit this and get out of Brent, remove all Brent's screw ups and coughing and the time where he clicked his pen in the middle of him talking. Uh, but yep, there it goes again. Oh my God. All yeah. right. Anyway, edit, edit this. I'm still not Paul. And I might be. We're a train wreck. Welcome to the train wreck podcast. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.